Welcome back. You are listening to Nate the Hate on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Be sure to like the video and subscribe to the channel if you have not already. And if you'd like to support the channel, we have a Streamlabs link in the description below. Donate any dollar amount. Ask a question. We will answer it at the end of the episode. Donate $100 or more, and we will dedicate the episode to you. And today's episode is dedicated to Where's the Direct? A question many are asking and few are answering, but... Thank you for your generosity. And with that, I'd like to welcome in my co-host, Modern Vintage Gamer. What's going on, Nate? It's great to be here. And by the way, where is the Direct? Where is it? Be patient and we, the answer shall come to you. Are we getting one? What's happening? Hey, September is just beyond the horizon. And as we know, September is always a good month for Nintendo Directs. So we're still in August. We still have a little bit of time, but we are entering the soonish phase. And those who know my terminology of soonish will now decipher that and it will become a Reddit and YouTube video in the near future with my luck. Don't make it a Reddit post or a YouTube video. Just be patient and your patience shall be rewarded with another fine Nintendo commercial known as a direct. <laughs> but with that, we go into today's topic, which is it's an interesting one. It's kind of one I wanted to approach with a little bit of nuance because I think it requires it. And that is the upcoming release of Starfield, the hyped, mega hyped Xbox exclusive, which has been in the headlines now for the better part of over a year. And some of those headlines have varied from promising direction to the shocking reveal to some that a PlayStation version was at one time planned until Xbox took control of Bethesda. But in the last few months, the focus has been on, is the game going to live up to the hype? And back in June, we had that meaty, deep dive from Bethesda at the Xbox showcase, where they headlined over half an hour of gameplay, showing the in-game systems, how we can explore the game, the types of mechanics available to the player. And I know back in June, after seeing that deep dive presentation, I was very hyped and excited for this upcoming release. And I know you were as well, MVG. Absolutely. I mean, they showed almost an hour worth of footage going through many of the different systems in the game and almost making you feel overwhelmed, but in a good way, I, I might add, with all the different options and choices and things that you could do in this game. I personally was really excited about the kind of the ship aspect of the game having your own ship and uh you know doing ship to ship combat and and basically acquiring other ships as well so yeah there was a lot to like about that presentation i think it was a a masterstroke from xbox to really give us a 1 hour deep dive of starfield because before that we were scratching our heads asking many questions about it was it just going to be fallout in space was it going to be no man's sky was it going to be mass effect but really starfield at least from what we saw is its own unique thing and uh i think it was um it was a great great move by by the marketing team to, to really go deep on on the gameplay mm-hmm and the game is in the hands of reviewers. In fact, reviews will go up at the end of this week as you're listening to this episode. And I have heard some impressions from those I know playing the game currently and a lot of promising things I've been hearing right now. So my hype for the game and the wait for the game is becoming a little unbearable. But we're going to talk about an interesting angle about the game that I haven't seen really many people address. and. It's whether or not the game could, in fact, be a historic release for the Xbox. Because if you remove Flight Simulator and the Forza and the Forza Horizon games from the equation, and I'm in no way belittling these releases, but for some reason, the gaming community doesn't really view them as video game releases, if that makes sense. It's they're always viewed as a different form of release. So when Forza Horizon 5 came out and it was the highest reviewed game of the year, people said it didn't deserve to be game of the year because it's a racing game. I don't know how that mentality works, but for the sake of this discussion, we are going to treat these games as 
essentially non-releases in well, the equation. Outliers almost, right? I mean, right. Flight Simulator is the same. I get, I got a lot of crap from everyone on the Spawncast, you know, because I'm the the dad gamer playing the Flight Simulator game. <laughs> uh, and you could you could definitely make an argument that it's not really a game. There's no real gameplay loop in that game. You're just kind of flying, um, you know, doing. You're either sightseeing in the game or you're um, just flying from one location to another. Um, there's not really that gamey mm-hmm. aspect of, the, of it. but Right. It's yeah, you know. simulation experience, yeah. that type of thing. So for the sake of this discussion, those type of releases have been removed. But again, we're not belittling those releases or disqualifying them from their caliber and quality. But dating back... Now, all the way to 2011, the Xbox hasn't had an exclusive Eclipse, a 90 on Metacritic. Does that surprise you, MVG, considering that is 12 years ago? It kind of does, because there have been some really great games that have come out exclusively by uh, for Xbox during that time. And I got to be honest, I had to go back and look at some old Metacritics because I quite couldn't believe it like i felt like a game like and i'm just gonna throw rise out there son of rome because rise is is a game that people talk about with with a lot of you know um a lot of excitement about that it was such a great game and it is but it didn't review well back in the day for whatever reason i looked at some of the uh other games on the xbox one dead rising three i mean did okay got like a 78 but it didn't review that highly i think killer instinct did better it got a a higher score of in the high 80s i believe and i just kind of went through the list of of kind of exclusive xbox titles first party titles and you're right um there is nothing there that that breaks the 90 outside of like you said forza and and flight simulator so yeah it was a little bit surprising to me because i felt like maybe there was something you know gears uh, gears 4 or gears 5 potentially but no uh you're right no, neither of those uh beat got more than a you know got got into the 90s as well so it was a little surprising definitely and there's been a lot of quality releases even just this generation which you know we're close to three years in you can look at obsidian's pentiment a game i personally love has a metacritic score of 86 you have Halo Infinite at an 87, mm-hmm. definitely a topic of debate among some Halo purists. You have Psychonauts 2, which is an 87 on the Series X. It is a 91 on the Xbox One, but it has far fewer reviews, so the score is slightly inflated due to that reason. And then you have other titles like Deathloop coming in at an 89. Yep. A respectable score, by no means any slouch. It was Game of the Year contender, nominee, and winner. When it came out, ironically, not when it was on the Xbox, though. So in terms of Microsoft Game Studio published games or anything under that Microsoft ownership, including Bethesda, there hasn't been a game Eclipse a 90 since Gears of War 3. So I want to pose this question to you. Is Starfield going to be historic and buck this trend and come in with a Metacritic score higher than a 90? Man, this is a really tough question, but I'm going to, I'm not going to sit on the fence and say possibly, maybe it could, it may not. I'm going to say it is. I think, I think Starfield is important enough and at least the perception I'm getting where, where, like I said, we're a week out from, from the game and reviews and everything, but the perception I'm getting is people are enjoying Starfield. I think there's uh, an air of confidence around this game, one that I haven't really seen coming from you know Team Xbox for a very long time. I think there was some criticisms about the marketing or the lack of marketing from from some some camps on on online, and mm-hmm. I kind of just felt like no, they know exactly what they're doing. Like I said, they showed us an hour of this game you know, previously, so I think. What they're trying to do now is, you know, I don't think they're, they're going in full guns blazing with a um, a really kind of out there marketing campaign. 
but they're giving they're teasing enough information and they're dropping these subtle hints about the game and it, it, i think it's doing the right thing to get more people interested in in, in starfield but going back to your point i'm going to i'm going to put it out there and say i think starfield will will get into the 90s um and i think it'll be yeah the first for a very long time like you said like gears 3 i think it has enough to get there yeah as you brought up with the marketing there was a somewhat minority vocal camp that was saying where's that marketing how mm-hmm. come they're treating this game with such odd marketing hands and i've always found that point to be rather odd because when i viewed the marketing of starfield it felt as though it matched what we have seen from other major releases this generation yeah you could look to Baldur's gate 3 Yep, really didn't have that much marketing unless you want to include the early access period going back well over a year now. But there were no huge advertisement. There wasn't this massive social media marketing campaign. They showed a trailer at a convention with the bear scene. And all of a sudden, everyone started talking about the game. It went viral and the game released. And it was high quality, revealing incredibly well, positive world word of mouth amongst the community. And the game reportedly has sold over 5 million copies already. And that's just on PC. It's coming to consoles, you know, PlayStation 5 in just a couple of weeks will be coming to Xbox sometime this year. They have not relayed an exact release window for that version yet. But you just look at how different marketing is treated today versus, versus how it was a decade ago. Tears of the Kingdom, another game where individuals are going on Twitter and social media, YouTube, saying, where's the marketing? And Nintendo did a dedicated direct for it. They showed some gameplay. The game went on to have record-breaking sales. Marketing today isn't like marketing five years ago. You don't need these long, dragged-out marketing cycles to generate hype. You really kind of focus on that two weeks before release and then a bit after release where you can put in those review scores, the comments from reviews, Throw that in a hype trailer, an accolades trailer, and people get hyped when they upon seeing that. And just this past week at Gamescom, Microsoft opened opening night live with a live action Starfield trailer. Didn't show gameplay, but it showed you the concept of the game through actors going into space, exploring, seeing the ships. It got your interest peaked. You wondered, what is this game going to be? I'm excited about this. I'm curious. And it's all they needed to do. It started a conversation. And that was just 10 days from early access availability of the game. So they have marketed the game, in my opinion, exceptionally well. And going back to June, where they showed us close to an hour of gameplay, that was enough right there. Mm-hmm. People seem to have forgotten that June was a hefty experience. We got to see the game. We got to see a lot of the gameplay loop and the mechanics to sell us on what the game is going to be. But for some reason, when San Diego Comic-Con came about, people saw the trailer for Spider-Man 2 and they were saying, how come Microsoft's not doing anything with Starfield? Right, right. They they had just done so a few (laughs) weeks prior. Yeah. A trailer from a competitor doesn't all of a sudden erase everything that Microsoft was doing with Starfield. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I I think we as gamers, you know, and and if you spend a lot of time online News kind of travels very quickly. Every single day, there's some new news item that that comes up. And in any given week, like by Friday, Monday's news is is in the rear view view mirror and completely forgotten. So I think a lot of people just don't seem to remember the the one hour kind of extravaganza Uh that we got to see of that game. Like for me, that honestly, Nate, that really solidified my excitement to play Starfield. Before that, I was like, yeah, this sounds kind of interesting, um, but it may just be full out in space, you know, because kind of that's what we were expecting. But when we saw the one-hour presentation, it really kind of won me over. So I don't really feel like I need to see much more from Starfield um, outside of, you know, what they what they're showing us right now, which is... They're still they're definitely still marketing in this game. There's still a lot lot of activity on Twitter. Um, but I think at this point it's really a case of the game's almost here. 
Um, you know, so let's let's kind of move to the next phase of of this, which is you know the launch mm-hmm. of the game. Yeah, like reviews are a marketer's best friend when the game is quality, and given that they distributed review code two weeks in advance of the early access period becoming active shows their confidence. Yeah. They know what they're bringing to the market and they know they had to give reviewers ample time to even scratch the surface of the game because let's say the few opening hours are slow. You don't want someone rushing out a review saying, well, those first three hours were slow, but the game's out in three days. I don't really have time to explore the game. I'm going to put out a disingenuous review, which sad to say it does happen. Mm Mm-hmm. And now that's a false representation of the game. Now you allowed reviewers to dive deep, go that 40, 50, 60 hours with the game, which depending on how you play the game, did you focus on the campaign route? Did you do a lot of side missions? Did you customize your ship? Did you take on bounties? Depending on how you played the game, 60 hours may be nothing. So that, that brings up an interesting question, right? So you said that they have two weeks in advance before the early access goes live, which uh-huh. is I'm assuming when the reviews will drop as well for that game. Do you think two weeks is enough time? Because, and, and let me kind of explain why I asked that, because there may be some reviewers that feel like, well, this game is absolutely massive. You know, it could be two, 300 hours worth of gameplay right here. I don't have that much time. You know, two weeks isn't that that much time to number one, play the game, try to beat it, and then kind of formulate a review based on my experiences. Do you think that maybe some reviewers are focusing purely on the the main gameplay loop and the main quests to kind of try to beat the game? Or do you think they have enough time? Do you think two weeks is enough time to really explore and see as much as, much as you can with this game? I, I guess... I don't really have a sense of how large this game is. I think it's a large game, but do you think two weeks is going to be enough time for these reviewers? We'll be back after a quick break. Ever thought modern video games should be more interesting? At the Gaming Blender, we take randomized genres, mechanics, and make a new game every episode. I've added permadeath. We have a survival game of a hardcore simulation, which could be House Flipper and with the permadeath of XCOM. And that owl has to be an action adventure. Yes. Oh dear. Yes. And sometimes it doesn't quite work. And you you have a construction off over the course of the of the narrative. A construction off. The <laughs> way the way we can do this is that we ditch your idea entirely. Entirely. Check out the Gaming Blender on all your favorite podcast platforms now. I think in a general sense, yes. I think it's going to be ample time that you could likely go through the main campaign beat, do some of the side stuff, explore the bounty system, explore the galaxy, do some of the ship stuff, the customization, buy new ships, expand your ship's abilities. But you're not going to be able to submerse oneself into the full depths of those options. Mm -hmm. You're only going to get that kind of that surface level experience out of them. Right. But the great thing about the current age of media is that we're not print. You can do a review in progress. You can revisit that initial coverage another week, two weeks out, because coming out with those first impressions will be important to some consumers where they want to gauge a feel of what the game is, kind of come to an understanding of what is being offered by this. And a review in progress can deliver that exact information without overwhelming the reader. And I wouldn't be too surprised if we see quite a few review in progress drop when the embargo lifts on August 31st. I actually would kind of encourage reviewers who feel as though they didn't have enough time to formulate a comprehensive review to go that route. Even if you're a YouTuber who's planning to review the game, do a review in progress or just put out, here's my first impressions based on the opening 36 hours that I've played. That's fine. Come back to the game in a month when you have, you know, committed more time to it if you can, and then give it a score if that is how you operate on your channel. Because I do fear that there's going to be some channels out there, be it written and YouTube, that are going to assign a score in haste 
solely because they know what review score is going to bring in viewers. Of course. I don't think that's the proper avenue to go with a game of this scale. Not because two weeks wasn't sufficient, sufficient timing, but because depending on how you did approach the game, you may not have been able to experience the vastness of the systems that the game employs. And you could, you know, continue to play the game for the duration of September and then say, you know, I was harsh on that element of the game only because I hadn't explored it that fully. And now that I have, it's actually one of my favorite parts of the game. But Mm -hmm. when I had reviewed it, I said, you know, this feels shallow. And that was an inaccurate descriptor at the time. So two weeks, I think, is sufficient to give kind of that initial impression. Some reviewers, depending on whom they work for, or let's say they're independent, they're YouTubers, if they're not doing any other projects, two weeks could be more than ample. Let's say you're putting in eight hours a day into the game. Yeah. You could feasibly put in 90 hours before you're going to sit down to review the game. Right. Not advocating that you should, but you could. So I think that was enough time for some outlets to formulate a comprehensive review, depending on how it was approached. But I would definitely encourage review in progress, give a first impressions and just don't give a score, though. You could argue this is one of those cases of should the gaming review system move away from numeric values? But that's a topic for a different day. So you put me on the spot and asked me if it's going to be over a 90. Uh-huh. What do you think about Starfield? Where do you think it's ultimately going to lie? I'm, I think it's going to be over a 90, but I will say, Nate, um, I'm not super confident about that. What do you think? Do I think it's going to be the first Xbox game since Gears 3 to score over a 90 on Metacritic? Right now, my my gut instinct is no. Okay. Now, why do you say that, though? I think this is going to be a game that at the initial landings of reviews we're potentially going to see some divisive range. Mm-hmm. We're going to see tens from those who want to score it already. Do you but think it's, say, you think it's, it may not click with some reviewers and they may, they, they may kind of score it lower. Yes. And I, that may come back to that point that you were saying was two weeks enough time mm-hmm. where they're going to go into it because when you play a game for review, Sometimes you rush through things, right? You're not, you're not delving into those systems as deep as a normal player would. And you're just rushing through the things. You're saying, I'm, I'm on a deadline. So you're making hasty decisions. You're not really experiencing that honeymoon feel. It's more of a, this is work. I got to get it done. So like, oh, this character's talking. Okay, let's go move it on, move on. And sometimes that creates more of a critical eye than you would typically approach a game with. Because now you're getting annoyed, you're dealing with, potentially slow side quests that you're not finding engaging and that's hampering your experience. Whereas if you were just playing it for leisure, it's, eh, I'm not going to do this one. I'm going to do something better because I can. And I think that is going to weigh down reviews, at least when the embargo lifts by some, it's still going to review exceptionally well. It's just like maybe Maybe it does crawl to a 90 to a 92 when the dust settles. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying the dust won't settle potentially till the end of September, early October. I do think it's, you you bring up a good point. It'll be very interesting to see how many reviews drop initially and how many uh, review in progress. Yeah, because that's going to take... You know, that's going to impact what we're looking at Metacritic in that opening week. And I mean, like Gears of War, when you look at Gears of War 3 at a 91, you'd think Starfield's a much bigger game. Yeah. Larger scope, much more hype. Of course, it's going to pass that. But Gears of War 3 is a pretty self-contained game. It knows what it's doing. The story was somewhat engaging. The gameplay was sublime, had a strong multiplayer. Mm Mm-hmm. Starfield is kind of that. It's not that. It's open. It's vast. There's so many systems at play. And it's one thing I think that's going to come down to how review scores play out. 
is how well the game introduces the player to these systems. If the game overwhelms you yes. in those first, I'll say four to five hours, and it's convoluted and you're feeling just, you feel as though you're drowning mm-hmm. in options and you don't know how to go about certain things, you're going to have reviewers, and I hate to say it, but you're going to have reviewers who played just those opening 10 hours, found it to be too complex. Yeah. And they're going to review the game based on their experience. And it's an unfair review because it was it's not a true representation of the game. It was just a play the opening 10 hours. It was convoluted. I found it bored. Seven out of 10. Yeah. I mean, it's not really it's not really an unfair review because if the reviewer is feeling overwhelmed by all the different systems and it's throwing all these things at you, then that that obviously goes back to the game itself as a poor user experience or a poor user interface design or, you know, poor kind of development in that aspect because a game should never make you feel like you're being overwhelmed with so many different things. I I agree with you, um, but rather than the, you know, being overwhelmed by all the systems, which I think is valid, I also feel like bugs as well. We're talking about Bethesda here. We're talking about Bethesda Game <laughs> Studios. And Bethesda Game Studios, for better or for worse, have launched games in not the best state. You know, um, there's been issues going back to like Morrowind, honestly, where, you know, save files have been corrupted and um, just general Bethesda Game Studios jank when it comes to quests and bugs and, and things like that. I think Starfield has to be polished. Uh, I think any level of issues in that regard, technical issues, will be uh, will lose will lose points, no doubt about it. But I think at least the perception is, you know, a week out from from the early access. It seems like Bethesda Game Studios and Xbox are very confident about this game. They're very confident. Mm-hmm. I don't. You know, all the signs, you know, the the two weeks of, of um reviews before early access starts, that's that's a that's a confidence move by Microsoft. They're not they're not giving codes out, you know, three days before before the launch or or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um two weeks right. out, that that's you know, that that's a pretty confident move. So I do think that this game will probably be the most polished. Bethesda Game Studios game that has ever released. And I think that that aspect of it will be noticed by the reviewers that this is this is a level of polish that we haven't seen from a Bethesda Game Studios game before. And I think that'll definitely go um, in its favor as far as, you know, the, the scores. Do you think reviewers may approach this game with a little more of a critical eye due to the hype and the importance it has on the Xbox ecosystem in 2023? Like this is the major release for the platform. This is the genre defining game potentially Mm -hmm. for Bethesda and Microsoft. So because it has all that hype generated around it, it has that aura of being an industry changer. Do you think reviewers are going to go into it with a little more of a harsh eye and nitpick over things that they otherwise would not? Or could it go in the opposite where they're more forgiving due to that aura? Oh, that, that, that's a that's a really good question. I mean, any good reviewer should just treat any game on its own merits without thinking about the impacts and implications surrounding it. And you're absolutely right. Starfield is probably... Xbox's most important game they've ever released. If we go back and look at the history of Xbox, this is probably the most important one because if things don't go well for Starfield, then all of a sudden Xbox is going to get completely criticized for not really delivering on any of the things that Uh they have tried to do. And then we go into 2024 thinking, well, what's next? We're getting avowed and all of a sudden people are losing confidence on that and whatever else is coming out next year. I think um, Forza Motorsport and I'm not really sure what else is next year, but that's a separate topic. I think Starfield really 
has to um, has to impress. And I, I think they know that. I think they know that reviewers know that this is a very important game. This is a big game. Um, and I think reviewers will ultimately treat it as, you know, in, in a vacuum on its own merits. I don't think they're going to focus too much on what this could mean for the Xbox brand. I think that's really something for, um, you know, other outlets to kind of, you know, do their, uh-huh. their um, opinion pieces on. I think reviewers yeah. are just going to review the game ultimately. Yeah. When you look through the history of the Xbox, I think we can put the game on the same tier as Halo Combat Evolved for the original Xbox. Yep. Gears of War for the yep. Xbox 360. Mm hmm. Titanfall for the Xbox One. Yes, I was going to go with Titanfall for Xbox One. That was a very important release. Absolutely. It it didn't change the tide. And unfortunately, Microsoft's own output, there really was never a game that Microsoft put out on the Xbox One that had that level of importance. And that's right, not even Halo. Nope. Halo, those releases just didn't have that caliber and quality behind them. Mm -hmm. And Starfield is up there with Gears of War and Halo Combat Evolved in terms of importance for Xbox during a console generation. And, you know, to your point, I think we're going to see some of that mix, though, when it comes to reviews, where I think there are going to be outlets just to be that outlet. Yeah. Who's going to have in that summary on the Metacritic page didn't deliver that genre-defining experience that we were hoping for from Bethesda games. Like, okay. Is the game good? Oh, it's a fantastic game, but we're giving it a seven because it didn't deliver on right. the hype in our view. And, you know, that's kind of a disservice to the game. But, yeah, the importance of the game cannot be downplayed. This is a pivotal moment for Microsoft. And as you said, for the duration of the generation, because when the game comes out, if it delivers, everything coming after it, Hellblade, Avowed. It's gravy. Cl- yeah, clocks, yeah. clockwork, mm-hmm. powerful. Perfect Dark, Gear 6, all those titles now, you start to have confidence in them. Right yeah. now, Microsoft just hasn't had that major release that allows you to have confidence in what the company is coming out with. Like Hi-Fi Rush was a fantastic game earlier this year. Pentiment, another fantastic game. Forza Horizon, high quality across the board. But Some people view Hi-Fi Rush and Pentiment as smaller releases and not to the same caliber as something like Starfield. As we mentioned earlier in the show, Forza Horizon games just are not viewed as a video game because of how they are, you know, their genre type. Even with Forza coming out in October, it's not going to be treated as important as Starfield. But if the game delivers all those other games coming out, now it has attention. Now Microsoft has a little bit of momentum. It's not going to be enough to change the tide against the PlayStation 5 in terms of worldwide perception. But in North America, maybe in Europe, Microsoft begins to build. Game Pass subscriptions are going to boom if Starfield is a 90 plus on Metacritic. And now I want to pivot to something you brought up with you know Bethesda games being buggy and all that. Mm-hmm. And what I want to introduce as a discussion point is where Starfield going to fall in terms of Bethesda game rankings on Metacritic? Because Bethesda games, they score high. When you look at Elder Scrolls, Fallout, a lot of quality there. And here comes Starfield, a new IP from these legendary developers. And I'm well, going to start with Elder Scrolls. We have Morrowind, came in at an 89. Wow. Oblivion, 94. Great game, by the way. I love Oblivion. Skyrim, 96. Oh, my God. That's that's probably in the top 10 best best games ever made. Fallout 3, 93. Fallout 4, 88. Where is Starfield (laughs) going to rank among that list of Bethesda games? All right, so let's let's be honest. It's not going to get a 96. Because of all the things that you said, I feel like it's going to score very well, but there are going to be some reviewers that potentially the game may not connect with. 
and they may score it down or they may dock points for whatever reason. I think it's probably going to sit between Fallout 3 and Fallout 4. So you said Fallout 3 was a 90, 91? So he's 93. 93. And then Fallout 4 was an 80? 88. 88. Yeah, I think it's in the 90, 91. It's going to sit nicely in the middle between Fallout 3 and Fallout 4. Is it going to be better than those games? I think so. I, I personally wasn't a big fan of Fallout 4. I, I liked Fallout 3 quite a lot, especially the uh, the DLC expansions they, they released for the game. I think Starfield overall will be a better game, definitely a larger, more ambitious game. Um, but I think the spread of, re- of reviews, like like you suggested previously, it won't it won't make it you know Baldur's Gate ninety six levels of uh, awesomeness here, but it will it will review high, and I think it'll I think it'll get into the nineties. I, I feel pretty strongly about that, especially now that you kind of gave me this um, Bethesda Game Studios ranking. I, I'd be very surprised if it actually scored lower than Fallout Four. That would I don't want to say will, I would I, I don't want to say disappointing, but that. I think if you were Xbox, you'd be like, really? That's that's a little disappointing. <laughs> Our brand new IP isn't as good as Fallout 4. Why did we waste all this time? I mean, we and it's very, you for this. It's very hard to com- make comparisons with games from different generations. And I totally acknowledge right. that. But mm-hmm. I do think Starfield is good enough to push it into the 90s. And I, I think it is good enough to push it beyond out for and if it doesn't wow the reviews so the reviewers must be really really critical of this game i would say that's the thing the, the review scene has changed a lot since these games have released and you know skyrim was that generation defining game you can look as far as skyward sword or not skyward sword tears of the kingdom yeah. breath of the wild who took inspiration from skyrim Witcher 3 took inspiration from Skyrim. Skyrim changed the industry. And, mm-hmm. you know, Oblivion, Morrowind, all fine entries to the franchise in their own right. Fallout 3 and Fallout 4 depends on, you know, whether or not you like the Fallout games. The only reason we didn't include New Vegas, because I know someone's saying, why isn't New Vegas? Because it was made by Obsidian. But it also didn't get a 90 anyway. It I did believe. not. I actually believe it was like an 84. Yeah, and that was one of the the big things that was mm-hmm. going around in the industry about how Obsidian didn't get their bonuses because they missed out by a That's couple right. of points. That's right. Yep. And, you know, the industry has changed a lot since these games came out. Skyrim just changed everything. When it came out, tons of hype around the release. And, like, personally, I remember going to New York City to a Bethesda media event to demo Skyrim about three months before the game launched. Got to play, I believe we played two and a half hours of the game where they just put you down and say, go. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't that big of a fan of Oblivion. So when I went there, I wasn't all that enthused. I was like, yay, an Elder Scrolls game. When I finished that two and a half hours (laughs) playing Skyrim, I walked away from that media event saying, okay, this game's coming out in... Two or three months, I can't wait until I get my review copy. Right. I wanted to go back into that world. I was excited. Skyrim was, wow, I can't believe what I just played. It was so thrilling. Mm -hmm. And now here comes Starfield from that development team. Their first game in well over a decade. It's not going to hit the highs of Skyrim. You're right. It's not going to eclipse 96. I'd be, I'd, there's no way, no way. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to touch a 94 with Oblivion. No, no, it's not. I think Fallout 3, I'm going to say Fallout 3's 93 mm-hmm. is the ceiling I'm going to give Starfield. I, I would and agree. I would agree with you. I think that's the highest I could see the game coming in at once the dust settles. So I'm talking all said and done, let's say the end of the year when the when all the reviews are in, or at least the vast majority of reviews are in, I think it can settle around a 93. The lowest, lowest I would anticipate is the Fallout 4 score of an 88. I cannot see this game coming in lower than an 88. 
unless there is something catastrophically wrong with it. Like Hal is talking to the player and the game just (laughs) is a glitchy disaster of planets disappearing, the sun going supernova and wiping out your entire galaxy and you can't play because you got fried. I just cannot see something like that happening with the game, though. I think 88 is the lowest score I see Starfield coming in at, highest 93. So in terms of Bethesda games, I guess it continues the trend of being quality from this particular development studio, but it's not going to be their greatest release in terms of Metacritic score. Definitely not. Uh, Look, reviews have changed, as you've said. Reviews have definitely changed over, over the years. But I think one thing that is still we can still agree on is that the cream still rises to the top. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. If you know, if this game tears of the kingdom, delivers. Elden, mm-hmm. Elden ring, uh, Baldur's gate, mm-hmm. you know, all these games that, that we suspected were going to do really well, have done really well. So I think, that that aspect of game reviews hasn't really hasn't really changed. I mean, if you've got a good game on your hands, uh-huh. people are going to like it and people are going to review it very very well. Um, right. If there's quality there, quality yeah. will be recognized. But I think the thing that you you said about buggy bugs um, that could bring the scores down is, I think that's the key thing here. Um, sure, there's definitely an aspect of the game where it could feel overwhelming. But I also feel like if it does, then people are gonna just kind of play the way that they want to play play, and that may uh-huh. be that may be okay. Like I personally, Tears of the Kingdom was a game that had a lot going on with all its different things, and I don't I don't want to say I ever felt overwhelmed playing Tears of the Kingdom, but I kind of settled into my own style of gameplay where I just didn't really care about using fuse as much as maybe other people did. I just kind of used it where I needed to and I kind of just played through the game and I enjoyed it. Um, Hopefully Starfield will give you that experience where even though all these things are available to you, you don't have to do any of them. You can basically Uh play how you want to and that's a mark of a good game. I think where Starfield may lose people again is if if it's buggy or if there are issues. And unfortunately, at least at this time, because everything's under NDA, we have no idea about the stability or the quality of the game. Um, Bethesda could be literally patching it every single day for these reviewers right now. They, they could be finding game-breaking issues that are currently being worked as we speak. We don't know. Um, and, you know, if, that is, if that's the case, then reviewers are going to make a note of that in their, in their review and probably score it uh-huh. a little lower. Um, I don't think so. Like, again, I go back to the confidence, at least the perception that I'm seeing that Microsoft did give out codes two weeks before. And I feel like there is definitely a confidence in the air about this game. I think it's quite stable. But yeah, I, I think, you know, that spread, you know, lower than than Fallout 4 and maybe just a little under Fallout 3 is, is about right for me. I do think it's going to get into the 90s, though. Yeah, like my two concerns I will assign to the game are, as you mentioned, bugs and glitches. Mm -hmm. And whether or not the the game entices you to explore. Right. One of the one of the strongest attributes to Skyrim was that as you were walking around the wilderness, there was always something happening. You were always wondering, well, what's beyond that ridge? And maybe there was a chest. Maybe there was a goblin camp. Maybe there mm-hmm. were giants. It was always something around the corner to discover. And that's what made that world so engrossing. Now we have a galaxy. We have space available to us. You can fly to Alpha Centauri or light years away. You can go to different planets. I just hope that the planets are engrossing enough to encourage exploration and that there's stuff to discover. Because while space, as a scientific fact, the majority of planets in space are barren. Mm-hmm. Yeah, There's not going to be much to harvest in terms of you know precious minerals and stuff like that. So the game is trying to be realistic to a certain extent of certain planets are going to have nothing on it. That's just reality. 
we're not going full on sci-fi here where planets are going to have aliens on Mars and stuff. But if there's still interesting things to explore, kind of like in Mass Effect, you could land your, you know, your gravity buggy and drive around and pick up some minerals and such. Mm-hmm. If the game can give me that where I'm like, okay, I really want to explore this planet, see what's on it. See, maybe there's a hidden, I don't know, a vault. Maybe, maybe there's a bounty where thieves hid treasures and gems in a crater somewhere. Yeah. If I can have things like that happen and open up the game, I'm going to be engrossed in it for a long time because I'm going to constantly be wondering well, what could be on that meteor? What could be on that planet? What's going to happen if I go beyond the asteroid belt? What else is out there for me to find? Now, if the game doesn't have that sense of exploration, that's a minor concern in terms of longevity for me personally. Uh, Nate, I totally agree with you. Like the best games that I've played, Breath of the Wild, Elden Ring, those games have that sense of exploration and wonder about them where like an Elden Ring, you're kind of wandering along, you see a cave, you walk into the cave, all of a sudden it's just like, a, you know, this sophisticated cave system with like different levels and, and things and, and there's treasure in there and there's mini uh-huh. bosses and stuff. I mean, right. things like that where you kind of just, you, you, you left your own devices to explore this world is what really gets me excited about video games. Having not hold not being handheld and 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 kind of following a, a specific path, and if Starfield can, you know, pull off that type of aspect, that sense of wonder and exploration, and just letting the game take you to places that you, like you said, you see something and you want to you want to go there. If all that is available to you, then Starfield is going to be, mm-hmm. I don't want to say a masterpiece, but it's going to be a very very good game. Yeah, and even if it's not organic, like being on the planet itself, let's say it's a bounty system where you've arrested a pirate and they have a logbook that says at these coordinates, the planet, whatever, X, Y, Z, we stashed away stuff. And now I go there and like, wow, there's really that that was really there. And that's just from like a random side quest. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna want to do these bounties. I'm gonna want to do side quests. I'm gonna want to look through their journals or belongings because who knows what I'm gonna discover. That's gonna be interesting. And if we have that level here, I can't wait. Mm-hmm. That's really going to shift, I think, scores as well. If you let's say they are featured in the game missions of that type, and you experience them, you're gonna be saying, "Wow, I can't believe what I'm doing in this game." I arrested someone and they had a treasure map on them and I journeyed across space to find this. That's awesome. Unless, you know, it's booby trapped or there's a, there's a den of thieves that you battle so you can get all the goods. That's awesome. That's what I want to see. And if it's there and I'm experiencing as the reviewer, I'm going to come in with a higher score than the individual who may not have experienced that. Cause if you didn't experience, you're saying, well, where's that sense of wonder? You just didn't do the right mission. Right. And that could be a deciding factor in reviews as well. Because the game is so dependent on how you, the player, experience it, it's going to differ person to person. No one's experiencing the game the same way, which worked in the benefit of Elden Ring, Breath of the Wild, because that made it exciting. Everyone was experiencing the game their own unique way. They were solving things how they wanted to solve it. And... Maybe we underscored Starfield in this discussion. Maybe it does come in higher. We'll find out very soon, though. And what I want to conclude the episode with is our own personal Metacritic score predictions. Though, I mean, we've kind of alluded to some of our thoughts with the prior two topics, but let's give it a score that we anticipate. I'm going to say Starfield starts out at a 92. But ultimately, when the dust settles, as you say, it's going to hit 90. It's going to be a 90. Okay. I'm going to say come the 31st, opens at an 88. Mm -hmm. When the dust settles, 93. Nice. I like it. I mean, if it it kind of gains points, 
as time goes on, that's that's a good thing. And I, I really like to hear that. And hopefully, uh, hopefully it does. I mean, I'm excited about Starfield. I know I will be playing it. I'm not getting the early access. Hopefully I can get some kind of review code, but if not, I'll <laughs> I'll definitely be playing it um when Game Pass when it drops on Game Pass. You're not gonna do the thirty-five dollar no, access. But see, that'll be interesting as well to see. Mm. And I don't think Mark, does Microsoft even disclose those numbers, but it'd be interesting to see how many people actually pay that money to play Starfield early. They- they did it for Forza Horizon 5, and it was well over a million people. I remember that, ones. yeah. So Starfield could eclipse that number handedly. I think it, it might, actually. I think I, it might. You know, let's throw that as a last-second prediction. Within that five-day early access period, what number do you think Microsoft reports? 1.8 million. 2.7. Oh, that's a lot of people. If they can get 2.7 million on early access, wow, that's uh, that's big. That's big for, for Microsoft. I think it'll eclipse 2 million. 2.5, I think, is within play. 2.7 is probably being a little overzealous. But I wouldn't be surprised for them to come out with 2.5 million. Are you going to pay plays. the $35? Right now, I am thinking about it. Yeah, let's, I mean... Let's put it this way. If the reviews come in hot... And I'm reading the reviews and I'm talking to more people who have the, you know, who had reviewed the game and I'm getting more of their impressions outside of their reviews and I'm seeing footage go up and it looks amazing. That's where I say it's $35. I want to play it today. Let's go. It's a long weekend. Let's go to space. If the reviews come in a little cooler, I might say, eh, it's a long weekend. That last long weekend of the summer. I'm going to kick back and enjoy that and I'll play the game the start of the week. but. That's going to be the factor. If it's hype with reviews, yeah. it's like that shadow drop effect. It's, I need to play the game now. Right. So that, that's going to be the driving force behind me giving the $35. I'm probably just going to wait either way. Um, I may have some FOMO if, if the reviews do come out. It's really good and people are on early access. But I mean, I, I, I have Game <laughs> Pass for a reason, you know? Right. I, I don't want to pay more money to play games early. And I mean, you have Armored Core Six. Of course, there are other games that I'm playing right now. Yeah. So yeah, there's other stuff to enjoy that you can say. I'm gonna go fight big mechs, even though you're gonna be looking at your Twitter feed where people are like, "Oh my god, I just did this in Starfield," and you're gonna be like, "Shut up." Like, I'm usually pretty don't. good at at kind of uh, drowning out noise and, and squelching out things like that. Um, so yeah, by the time I get around to playing the game, I, I usually go in not knowing too much about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm on that line. It's all going to come down to whether or not I, you know, feel that FOMO and yep. how hype those reviews drop. But right now, I am contemplating the thirty-five dollar drop. And hopefully, this does really well. I think it will. Um, I think it'll really put Microsoft in a great position going into 2024, where they do have more games that they're, they're coming out with. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really do hope that this is this is a hit for Microsoft. I think it will be. Yeah, this is the hit they need. Hopefully it delivers. With that, we go into the Streamlabs portion of the episode. And once again, today's episode is dedicated to Where's the Direct, who generously donated $300 in support of the channel. And if you'd like to support the channel, we have a Streamlabs link in the description below. Donate any dollar amount, ask a question, donate $100 or more, and we will dedicate the episode to you. Today's episode, once again, is dedicated to Where's the Direct. And our first question for this episode comes from jackie g who donated three dollars and didn't ask a question then had a dollar donation from liam warner who asked do you think nintendo will ever re-release galaxy 2 this generation or next generation on a non-service nso release no it's the only 3d mario not playable on a handheld now including both versions of 64 and with the constant wii gamecube releases it would fit well I think Galaxy is a fantastic game. One of my favorite Mario games ever. For whatever reason, Nintendo doesn't even acknowledge the existence of Mario Yoshi. Galaxy 2. Yoshi. So I don't even think we're going to hear about Mario Galaxy 2. I mean, there were a lot of people who were very confident that it was going to come out in the 3D All-Stars collection after they were 
pulling it from digital and store shelves that obviously didn't happen. There was never any plan for that to happen. I think people were just hopeful. It all comes down to whether or not they can sell for Yoshi and his tongue. <laughs> if they can sell for Yoshi, we'll get the release. I wouldn't mind if they just full on maybe remade the game in a you know Demon Souls PS5 style. That'd be cool. They found maybe a way to yeah. Then again, I guess if you could figure out Yoshi, then you could probably figure out how to do Yoshi in a just a remaster. I'd love for the release to happen. Galaxy Two is a fantastic game, but for now we're just left to Nintendo's, I guess, ambitions of trying to figure out what to do with Yoshi and his tongue. Dude, I, I still go back to that that PowerPoint slide where they showed the, like the evolution of Mario games. Uh-huh. They just skipped yeah, over Galaxy too. There was wasn't even on yeah. the I wasn't even on the chart. They're like sixty four Sunshine Galaxy, three D World. Maybe I'm reading play. too much into that, but I feel like there's a reason why. You know uh, the reason? Yoshi, probably. They looked at Yoshi and said, "We gave you a chance, man." Yeah, you're right. We gave you a chance, but then they acknowledged Flood and Sunshine. Yeah. Ooh. I tried to play that game recently on my Switch, and I still hate it. Sucks. It. It, it, says it, it does. It does. Mario, <laughs> Mario Sunshine sucks. <laughs> We've talked about this before. It's not a good game. It's not a good game. Great tech demo for the GameCube, but not a good game. Yeah, like the mirror, the water effects. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. I just can never get over those designs of the, what are they called? The pinati. Yeah. Those blocky things. I've said it before to John for the uh, the Spawncast Patreon. If we ever hit like $25,000 in patrons, I will play Sunshine on stream. Oh, God. Oh, my God. I will do that. We're only at thirteen hundred, so I'm not any. I'm not too concerned about it happening. Get on that Patreon, everyone! I want to see Nate stream Mario Sunshine. It's going to be a lot of fuck this game. Spawncastnetwork.com. Get on that. Uh, Make it happen. No. (laughs) (laughs) Then had a dollar donation from Drew on the topic of Nintendo backwards compatibility. I really feel they should not underestimate the innovation and traction handheld gaming PCs continue to have. A clean break generation like 2017 is simply not an option any longer in this digital age. I would agree. I would agree with you as well. I mean, that's what our prior episode was. The backwards compatibility has to be there. This is the digital age. Your library should come over. It should be a standard industry feature at this point. We can't be starting over every single new generation the games you purchase digitally should always be able to come with you and not allowing such a feature is a very i'd say it's not a scam but it is a very upsetting turn of events if nintendo does go that route because from that point moving forward i would have no confidence in buying a digital good from them because there is now that concern that it's trapped on that specific platform and when they come out with a new system i'm gonna have to rebuy digital goods once again so Backwards compatibility is important for numerous reasons, and one of them is customer goodwill and faith. We then had a $1.27 donation from Killjoy. Hello, Nate and MVG. In your last video, you talk about Red Dead Redemption as a port and a remaster. Do you both think a port and remaster are the same thing or different? Thanks. I don't know. I mean, I guess they are different because I think when we talk about a remaster, there are usually some enhancements that are made, you know, to kind of call it a remaster, but essentially it's still the same game code and, and the same underlying engine yeah, and everything. Like a remaster will have some improved textures, right? maybe some new content, usually higher resolution um, versus a remake, which... Right. is significantly more ambitious depending on the remake you go with. Like you could look at Metroid Prime Remastered. Some would argue that is a remake in the same vein as Demon's Souls PlayStation 5. Yeah. Others will say it's it's a remaster. It's, Red Dead would go more to the side of a port. Yeah, given, I would agree. It's a port. Yeah. Ultimately, it is a port. It's not a remaster. While there are improvements to you know the resolution, the frame rate is more consistent. 
Yeah, they no, didn't. You- they didn't do any texture work or um, enhanced right. any visuals from a from a texture or a number of polygons or you know visually make it look better. Other than just gave it a resolution bump and made it a better frame rate than the Xbox 360 and PS3 version. Uh-huh. Then had a dollar forty five cent donation from Zubmer. Thoughts on game messes view of the digital store shutdown? Nothing is forever. Physical degrades as well. Digital can be backed up. And preservation means media accumulates more than can be consumed. I haven't heard game messes take other than just the summary that you provided there. So this may not be accurate um, to kind of say, but look, they're not wrong. I mean, Everything has been backed up, right? So, like the 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 Xbox 360, I think every single game is available on archive.org. If if you if you want to play them via emulation, or if you have a hacked Xbox 360, so in general, I do agree with with that. But ultimately, I feel like if we're talking about preservation of video games. And emulation is really going to be the, the main savior of, of, of that because at some point in the future when all these systems no longer work or they just, you know, when you turn them on, they don't connect to anything because all these storefronts don't exist anymore. The only way you can play these games is via emulation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not familiar with what they said beyond a summary given here. But, I mean, I'm hopeful that the Xbox 360 is the last digital store shutdown moving forward as now Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo seem to have unified their digital storefronts. And ideally that means moving forward, we're in a secure spot for these stores. But, you know, it's really hard to say and that's definitely an optimistic point of view on it. Mm -hmm. But ideally that is how this goes. But, you know, we'll find out as the future goes on. But, yeah, I mean, physical does degrade. Sure. And Absolutely. That's just, there is disc rot. Mm-hmm. That is a thing. Oh, yeah. 100%. So, you know, there will be a day where your PS2, your GameCube games may not exist. As all things in life, carbon-based, we will one day return to dust. It's a little philosophical <laughs> and a little too deep for a video game podcast question. <laughs> but... Now we go to the final question of the Streamlabs, and that comes from Where's the Direct, whom this episode is dedicated to, who donated $300 and writes, which of these games do you think is most likely to be remade? Persona 2, Legend of Dragoon, Xenogears. I will put them in order of what I feel is most likely to least likely. Go on. Xenogears, number one. Persona 2, two. Legend of Dragoon, number three, or least likely. I am going to flip Xenogears around with... Mm, I'm going to flip Xenogears around with Persona. Persona 2, for my list, like Persona 2 and Xeno gears you know you could battle those pretty close at one and two for most likely be remade legend of dragoon as much as i would love to see it happen i just don't believe you know sony has any interest yeah revisiting that ip and there were all those rumors about it at at one point and then they just kind of dropped it on their playstation classic service and that was like well that's that you know i think that's all they view it as it's just kind of that game like yeah it has a legacy on the ps1 it is well revered but who are we going to assign that that type of game isn't what Sony is about in 2023. Right. It doesn't fit that Hollywood style game that they pursue any, you know, currently. And, you know, maybe there will come a time that they decide they want to make an grand RPG in that style again. But I would question who they could find that would do the, you know, title service. Yeah. And, you know, like Xenogears, I think I think that has that good chance only because if the parties involved can sit down, do the licensing, make things happen, 
it has a chance. Persona 2, Atlas is all about remaking games. So I almost wonder if that's more of a question of when than if. Mm-hmm. But I would love to see a modern take on Xenogears. You know, be cool. I love all three of those as much as I love Legend of Dragoon. And I, I love that game. I put Legend of Dragoon in the same, kind of in the same shelf as Skies of Arcadia. Games that should be remastered or remade, but their IP holder doesn't care. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely say that. That hurts. It does. Now I'm sad. <laughs> but we have Starfield look, hey, to look forward to. Good old Starfield. Hopefully it uh hopefully it's good. <laughs> don't don't let me down. Todd. Don't let me down. <laughs> Here comes the copyright strike. Right. <laughs> But that concludes today's episode. And I'd like to thank MVG for joining me, as always. It's always a pleasure being on, Nate. And go Starfield. I'm excited. (laughs) Let us know your thoughts in the comment section below, whether or not you think Starfield will pass Gears of War 3 to be the first Xbox game to eclipse the 90 Metacritic score, or... Will it come in lower? And do you where do you think it's going to rank among the other Bethesda releases like Skyrim, Oblivion, Morrowind, Fallout 3, and Fallout 4? Will it eclipse them? Will it come in below? Let us know in the comments section. If you liked the video, give it a like. If you didn't, give it a dislike. And until next time, continue to embrace the hate.